For 111 years, America Media has led the conversation about faith and culture, reaching you wherever you are. In these uncertain times, we're here for you when you need it most. This week, we commemorate our anniversary and we celebrate hope. Together, we are stronger. Help us continue to bring faith to you through podcasts like this one, as well as videos, digital, and print media. Please give today at americamagazine.org slash donate. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll talk about three bold economic calls that Pope Francis made to the world on Easter. Then, we'll talk about the new commission on women deacons and Pope Francis's first interview with the English-language media. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from uh, dull, gray, wet Rome, Colleen. (laughs) Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter to you, too. It's been uh, quite an Easter. It'll be one for the history books, for sure. Non facciamo loro mancare i beni di prima necessità. Um, Let's get right into our first story. So this weekend, Pope Francis endorsed several major economic moves, including debt forgiveness for poor nations, relaxing international sanctions, and a call for a universal basic wage. So I want to talk first about this debt forgiveness idea. Um, This isn't the first time that we've seen a pope call for wealthy nations and groups like the International Monetary Fund to forgive the debts of poor countries. Um, You mentioned a while ago on the show that John Paul II actually had held a jubilee year and called for debt forgiveness back in 2000. Um, So, you know, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, And my question when, when these big proposals come up is often like, if anyone will actually do them, if any nations will actually follow through. So I was hoping you you could give some context on how did nations receive John Paul II's similar call? Did it work then? Well, John Paul II's call came in the wake of a grassroots movement throughout the world. There was a lot of Catholic involvement in it, a lot of the Catholic Church involved, but also civil society, non-governmental organizations. You had millions of people calling on the IMF and the World Bank to resolve the debts of more than 40 countries. We're talking six, seven hundred million people who are in this kind of situation. And as a result, John Paul II threw his whole weight behind this, asking for the forgiveness of the debt in some cases and the reduction of the debt in other cases. And this happened in many places. Happily, this week, the International Monetary Fund has announced that it's approving the cancellation of six months of debt service to to some of these poor countries. Who are they? Afghanistan, Benin, Burkina Faso, the Central African Republic to which the Pope was went in the, the Jubilee year, Madagascar, where we were in, Mozambique, Nepal, Rwanda. In response to this crisis, the IMF has seen fit to at least eliminate six months of the debt of these countries. These are deeply indebted countries. And what will that do? It will allow the governments of those countries to respond in some way, a small way, but some some way, to 
the pandemic and to try and give some protection, ensure food for their people, ensure minimal health service. Remember Pope Francis in his meeting in Santa Cruz in Bolivia to the popular movements, he told them, you have to be active. Don't let the decisions to the politicians. You can change. You can be a force for change. And he's kept repeating that and encouraging the, the grassroots movements, the non-governmental organizations, those who represent people who have no representation in terms of formal representation. And he says, you can change history. And now the pandemic opens a greater possibility, and that's what the Pope sees. Right. And I think that's really important for us to consider when we hear, you know, Francis make these calls, because um, sometimes I hear them and I'm like, oh, is, is anyone going to follow up on this? But really, it's it's the combination of the Pope and all of these other other uh, other pressure groups, like you're saying, that that are able to really affect change on an international level. So I wouldn't be surprised if we if we saw, you know, this this really gained some more traction, like you said, with the IMF. Um, let's talk about this other call that Francis made this weekend during his Easter Urbi at Orbi address. Um, he called for the relaxing of international economic sanctions. And, you know, we should note this comes after an Iranian Shiite leader uh, developed a letter to Pope Francis in late March asking him to intervene and uh, to end economic sanctions against Iran, to, to intervene and asking for an end to those. Uh, because, as we know, Iran is suffering from one of the world's worst COVID-19 outbreaks. And so these sanctions are preventing them from being able to get, uh, you know, purchase uh, medical gear. So, Jerry, can you can you tell me about the effect that suspending sanctions might have in Iran and in other nations that have heavy sanctions? Well, you, you, I mean, the, the longstanding sanctions have been on Cuba, but Cuba has a good medical service. They, they have been on... Uh, uh, Iran, uh, there's sanctions on a number of countries, long-standing. John Paul II also, and before him, the Paul VI, they've all been against sanctions because they said, by and large, who do these sanctions, which are imposed by governments like the United States and countries, who do who suffers? It's not the the well-to-do in these countries. It's the poor people who suffer, because then you have a lack of access to even the most basic things, such as medical care and health. And we see the sanctions on Venezuela today the same, same way. I, I think uh, this crisis is reopening discussion on, is this a truly human way of operating? And we see the, 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 the pandemic hits the poor and the rich alike. And so you get the Prince of Monaco. You, you get uh, Prince Charles in England. You, you, you get and then the poor people, the people who have no one to care for them. They all die. And so it's forcing people to rethink, is this the world we want? And that's what the Pope is saying. He's saying, We've got to try to help the people today, but we've got to think about the world that's in the making now, that's being born in the midst of the pandemic, and which we will have tomorrow. And the decisions that are being taken, especially by the big countries today. You know, Jerry, it seems like as we talk about this um, forgiving of debts and this uh, relieving of sanctions, 
you know, I, I see a pretty clear connection between that and what we've talked about in a more sacramental sense in terms of the Pope trying to extend this message of mercy, right? This this economic forgiveness is a different kind of mercy, but all of it's at the service of how do we use this moment, like you said, as a moment of of conversion. I think it also ties in with that idea of the shift that we talked about with the Pontifical Academy for Life's document from de facto interdependence to chosen solidarity, right? He's He's calling for this sharing of resources instead of using coronavirus as a time to push your enemies into further economic ruin. And, you know, it's it's important that if if some nations remain unable to treat the crisis, that's going to affect everyone, right? It's the, These nations are all interdependent. Well, it, it goes right to the heart of the uh, encyclical Laudato Si, that the world is interconnected. Nature and society. And the, the failure to perceive that and the failure to address it, I mean, in a way you could say the world today is like uh, the emperor has no clothes, because we're suddenly seeing how many poor, naked people are in this society, which was covered with beautiful fashion. And, and this is what the Pope, the Pope is a man who's touching the reality. Right. Now let's talk about um, his last call this weekend, which really gets at the reality that a lot of these folks on the margins of society are facing, which is he called for a universal basic wage. Um, now, a lot of our listeners are in the United States, and this is a conversation we've been having a lot about universal basic income. But one Vatican official told you, Jerry, that this is uh, this is different from that. The Pope is calling for a universal basic wage. And so I was hoping that you might be able to talk about first, you know, what's the difference between universal basic wage, and universal basic income. It's a difference between welfare and getting paid for your work. Mm -hmm. you, you, you can get welfare even if you're not doing a job. The Pope is talking about those people who are doing jobs. He, 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 he says the key is to give work and to pay for work. Mm -hmm. And so this is focused more on people whose work is going unpaid at this time, right? Yeah, well, he, he's taking the image from I've seen in Buenos Aires, and this is where the Pope is coming from, the garbage pickers mm -hmm. who go at night, men, women, and also children, go around collecting cardboard boxes, newspapers, anything which they can sell as paper, and they take it to certain points and they get paid for it. But they get paid for the day, how much they have collected. If they don't work tomorrow, there's no pay. But these people do it every day. But they don't have uh, any basic wage. They just have their day-to-day -day money. No security or anything. And the Pope says, this is work that's being done day by day by day. There should be a basic wage for that. Right. And it's not just the people who work irregular jobs. It's also um, the folks who are doing unpaid labor, right? So, uh, for example, people who are caregivers in the home. Yes, for example, there are many women working at home, caring for the children, taking care of elderly parents or perhaps people with disabilities. And because they're not working officially, they don't get pensions, they don't get social security or anything. This is a case, of, I, I see it here in Italy, many instances of it. And the Pope feels that this is work that is being done regularly, but it's not being recognized. And he wants this informal economy, as it were, the informal workers to get a 
wage. And of course, the decrease will shake up the system. But why shouldn't it? Why should some people just have tremendous salaries and all these people without whom the society doesn't work, not have any kind of stable wage? Jerry, I, I want to go a little farther into that. Um, over the years that we've been doing this show, you know, I feel like every time we talk about Francis and the economy, I, I always ask you, like, what are some of the concrete policies he would be in support of? And oftentimes he, he speaks in more general terms, right? We hear about the throwaway culture. We hear about uh, the need for greater equity. Um, but here we're seeing him come out in support of very specific policies. And I kind of wonder um, what this tells you as somebody who who watches the Pope really closely, what this tells you about how he sees his role on the global stage right now. Well, he sees himself as the voice for the voiceless. Mm. He sees himself as trying to awaken the conscience of humanity, but awaken the conscience of the decision makers to get them to stand and look in themselves in the mirror and saying, you know, these decisions I'm making, is this for the common good or is it for particular interests? And the Pope keeps putting the finger, you should be working as representative of the people for the common good. All right. So we will keep you up to date on, uh, you know, how these ideas end up getting carried forward by the Vatican, um, as well as, you know, how they might be carried forward by different groups inspired by Pope Francis. Um, we'll have more on all of those stories at americamagazine.org. Asumo el pedido de rellamar a la comisión o quizás abrirla con nuevos miembros para seguir estudiando cómo existía en la iglesia primitiva el diaconado permanente. For our second story, we mentioned in a brief update last week that the Vatican had created a new commission to study women deacons. Uh, Pope Francis had said in his closing address at the Amazon Synod that he was going to reopen the commission after the first one had not reached a consensus on this question. And he mentioned then that he might create a new commission with all new members. Uh, this is exactly what's happened. The new commission includes no one who was a member of the former commission. And while that former commission included a lot of scholars who were very well known for their writing on women deacons, this new commission uh, includes a lot more obscure scholars. Some of them have never written on the question of women deacons at all. Um, and it's also caught some criticism even before its first meeting because it doesn't include any members from the Global South. So a lot remains to be seen about the work of this commission going forward. Uh, we don't know too much about it, but I was curious uh, in reading this news, Jerry, about you know, how, how are members of a commission like this chosen generally? Well, that's a question that's not easy to answer because it varies from, from commission to commission. How the members of this commission are, were chosen, it's not clear. Mm -hmm. It's obvious that uh, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has had some say. The, it may be that the cardinal who is appointed, Cardinal Petrocchi, uh, who rumor has it could eventually come to a post in the Vatican, mm -hmm. uh, may well have had a, a role in it. He is the president of this new commission, right? He's the president of the new commission. He's in Aquila. You know, that's where they had the big earthquake some time back. Uh, but he, he uh, we don't quite know how, how the com commission was put together. But uh, one thing is clear. The Pope set up the first commission 
they were asked to study and come up with uh, conclusions to him. But uh, what came back to him was a commission that wasn't really in total agreement. They didn't seem to have reached consensus. And that said something to the Pope. It said, well, maybe there isn't consensus over the over the history and over the role that women deacons, what they were called then, uh, actually did. There are some instances, but there doesn't seem to be a total consensus. So let's do another commission, because these people have had their say. They couldn't reach agreement. So he set up this other commission, which is a very different one. But remember, all of them are professors, I think. Mm-hmm. They are all scholars. So we have to wait and see. And of course, they can receive input from other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they start and how soon, you know, what the lifespan of the commission is, we haven't been told. I also found it interesting with this commission that the language about researching history was absent from this. So this might actually end up having a slightly different focus than the first commission did too. It would seem to me that you're right in, in your comment that uh, it's it's significant that uh, they obviously I think the Pope may wanted to approach the question from a different angle. You mm-hmm. know, if you if you keep going down one street and you're not getting an exit from that street, uh, maybe you've got to go in another direction. And I think this is what the Pope has done by appointing this commission. Mm-hmm. And also, he's he's not gone for the, let's say, the, the ones who are the cheerleaders for, for this issue. No, in fact, some of them are, are pretty strongly opposed or have been publicly in the past. Yes, but uh, we, we have to see because when people come out with a no position, it depends what they're responding to. And it depends what the Pope is going to ask them to do. All right. So there's a lot that remains to be seen on this uh, second commission to study women deacons. And we will keep you up to date on all of that here on Inside the Vatican. I'll also link to more reading material in the show notes. For our third story, we wanted to talk in this episode about Pope Francis's interview that he gave to the English language media last week. This sort of got lost in some of the Holy Week coverage, so we wanted to revisit it and talk about our takeaways. This interview was really wide-ranging. Francis said that he's been thinking about what his role and the Vatican's role are going to be in the aftermath of the pandemic, and how individuals and governments need to use this as a time for re-evaluation and conversion. He talks specifically about that being a conversion away from profit at any cost and toward care for the poor and for the environment. He said, quote, I see early signs of an economy that is less liquid, more human. But let us not lose our memory once all this is past. Let us not file it away and go back to where we were. This is the time to take the decisive step, to move from using and misusing nature to contemplating it. So Jerry, uh, I just want to start with kind of an open-ended question. What, what stood out to you in this interview? What struck me in the interview is uh, exactly this last point that, that you made. He says, today... We forget what was yesterday. Tomorrow, we mustn't forget what was today. Mm. And he said, in one point, he says, this is the moment to see the poor. I I was struck by this sentence in in that interview. This is the moment to see the poor. Because he feels we, the poor are invisible. So often, society has ways of overlooking them. Mm -hmm. For example, you look on the television programs. You look on the reality shows. Where are the poor in much of this? He says, this is the time to see the poor. This is the 
moment, the time to reconnect with our real situation. And I think he's very strong about this. We spoke about it earlier. And then he, sp- he speaks about, we've got to realize that all our thinking has been shaped around the economy. Mm-hmm. All our thinking. And the economy has produced a throwaway culture. Right. He gives a specific example about this uh, when he talks about seeing a photo of, of homeless people being quarantined in a parking lot in Las Vegas while the hotels were sitting empty. Yes. And uh, I, I think this reaches the, the, the image the Pope chose there, which, of course, it, it went viral at the time. But it's, it's very important that he, he wants to speak in images to people. One thing is talking in language, but I think he's making very clear, we reap what we sow. And if today, as we're sowing the seeds for the new world, we don't see the poor, and we don't see these in the parking lots, and we don't take notice of the submerged economy, Mm -hmm. the informal economy, then tomorrow we're going to find ourselves back in the same situation. And there's no guarantee tomorrow that there won't be COVID-20, 21, 22, or whatever. I, I think what the Pope is, is deeply concerned, that people are hoping, you know, the pandemic passes, we've got a vaccine, and we go back to where we, we are. Mm-hmm. The Pope says if we do that, we're sowing the seeds for a further real destruction of humanity down the line. Mm-hmm. We're preparing for future tragedies if we don't change course. And this is the whole question of the conversion, which he spoke about on that 27th of March speech, which he keeps coming back to, that we must change our way of thinking, our way of living, our way of being, if we wish to avoid such catastrophes as the one we have today. Right. Um, In this interview, in addition to the things that you mentioned, Jerry, uh, Francis's interview ended with this idea of the importance of the generations working together. And uh, since it is America's anniversary week, I just wanted to say, you know, I'm really grateful that we get to bring that kind of intergenerational perspective to our Vatican coverage together. Um, So if our listeners want to support that work in a special way for America's 111th anniversary this Friday, you can make a donation at americamagazine.org slash donate. And I'll also include that link in the show notes. So, Jerry, I think that does it for this week. Um, Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me and happy Easter again. Happy Easter to our listeners. I hope that they will see the dawn quickly from this present moment. Yeah, I hope I hope that for all of us. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.